Hey guys, welcome back to YouthCast, a podcast for the youth and by the youth. On today's episode of the podcast, we have a special guest on. He's the former head boy of TSRS Ravli. He's an up-and-coming college YouTuber, the founder of Spectraverse. He'll be attending Stanford in the next academic year. And he's the recipient of the Pradhan Mantri Rashtriya Bal Puraskar, which is India's highest civilian honor bestowed upon exceptional achievers under the age of 18. Please welcome Shorya Sinha. Thank you for having me on the podcast, guys. It's it's an honor, truly. I love I love speaking to juniors, and I love this this initiative or whatever you call it. But yeah, this is the first podcast I'm on, so it's a special moment. This is our first guest, so welcome. I feel absolutely privileged. Okay, yeah, we're really excited to have you on the show today. So what we're going to be talking about primarily today is we're going to be talking about the Indian education system. And then we're going to kind of pivot on to college, about how you got into college and all of that stuff, because I'm pretty sure everyone wants to hear how you actually got into Stanford. Short answer is I don't know, but yeah, a lot of details. Yeah, so uh, irrespective of our many differences, slash similarities, we're all products of the Indian education system. So I feel like that's a good starting point. So it's it's not a it's not a new thing to talk about. The Indian education system has been there for long and hence it has been scrutinized. But I feel like it's important to start off and lay a base with what we think are the flaws of the education system. And then after that, we could probably move on to see, okay, maybe it's not all that bad. And there is a silver lining and what merits or sort of what we have gained from this experience. Yeah. So, Samar, do you want to start with what do you think? What do you think makes it the system it is in the sense that? Okay, so uh, one of the major flaws, according Hmm. to me, is the lack of application of what we're actually learning. So because of the way our exams are structured, uh, for most subjects, at least, we're forced to to rote learn most of the syllabus. And we aren't actually applying any of the knowledge that we gain from reading our textbooks for hours. So Shorya, what do you you have to say about that? Yeah, I, I generally think that rote learning is just a problem that all of us face in general. But then on the flip side, I've also found it extremely useful to have the capacity to rote learn. Like when you compare it to other boards or even other countries, the Indian education system is known for its rigor. And it's also known for putting out people who are like academically exceptional for a reason. I think the problem comes into play when when you're not applying it. So I think what's there already isn't bad. It's just that it's lacking something. I actually have it. I actually have a different view on all of this. I think the Indian education system isn't all that bad. I think some subjects, I think they're just destined to be rote learned, right? So like when you're talking about history, obviously, you know how to, you need to know how to analyze a piece of historical data. But if you're talking about the Mauryans or the Chola Empire in general, it is history at the end of the day. It's just facts and figures that you will have to learn if you're interested in that field. So I don't think there's that much of analysis. You can even apply that beyond a certain point at this level. So I think for some subjects, it's great, it's fine. But for other ones, I think there definitely should be a broader scope of learning. Okay, so I completely agree with the fact that some subjects are just destined to be rote learned, like history, like you said. But I feel like the Indian education should structure its exams in a way where we don't just have to rote learn, but it's more practical and application based. So I have uh, two points to make. Firstly is the fact that Okay, so firstly, the fact that where the education is centered. So if we talk about the Indian education system, what's the first thing that you hear in class six? You hear about the CBSE slash ICSE formats, the way the paper should be attempted, the rules and guidelines of the ICSE thing. When you get into 11, the first thing you hear is this is the board pattern for 12 or the, the 12th board exam. And immediately once you know that it, all your education or all your learning is just centered to one or two exams. So I feel like that's one feature that that you can uh, you can side with or you can go against if that's just one thing i should point out and the second thing is the fact that i think i think shorya's right but i feel like it's also the issue of taking a wrong sample size where we talk about the the number of good examples that come out of the education system that's that that's obviously true but i feel like it's also what you have to take into account is the number of people that are badly affected by this like there'll be one topper in each school but there'll be a hundred people that are suffering that, that that are trying to get into a college just because they have to side with this system and get marks through this system do you, do you think that's a problem with the indian education system or just education systems around the world or education as a whole yeah because i think depression rates surrounding with education are present in almost every country that I've seen stats or I think it's a bit higher in India, but it definitely exists in all countries for sure. 
Yeah, no, I, I agree. What, what all I'm trying to say is that yes, agree. Like each school, even in the in the US, will have one or two students or five students that will get straight A's, and every there's the entire section of people who are like in the middle and all that. That's fine. What I'm saying is, when you combine that with the way that these exams are tested, given the fact that they're they're tested not in a manner that's even relevant to the subject, like you you could I could give a psychology exam without actually understanding psychology. I feel like once you fa- factor that in as well, then it th- then it becomes much more. Okay, but then Yaja, take this take a different sample size. Take like the AP system for the United States. That's like an exam that boils down to literally a score of five. Now you can study the exact same syllabus yeah. in the US, take that AP psychology exam, and still not understand anything at all. Um, but the output that's different is you're getting scaled to a hundred. First of all, it's a lot harder to score well. And even with the whole grading system, you're just putting people in buckets. And also something that I feel like maybe some schools do do this in India, but in the US, there's also this huge system of a class rank where kids are literally talking about who comes first, who comes second, who comes third. And for for the entrance examinations, that system is there. But in high schools, like ours at least, nobody is talking about. I mean, yes, you'll know the person who came first because some schools have something like a scholar award, but. in general if you want to do academically well there's not as much pressure on the position you're in so i think the student versus student battle apart from the number one spot is a lot lesser in indian high schools than is there in other high schools that's just my that's opinion. a fair point i'm actually preparing for the uh, the joint en- engineering entrance exam and I, i feel like it's a completely separate procedure because the because given the fact that it's literally mm-hmm. 1 million people who give the exam and out of which 5000 spots are there for a good college and that just it becomes so weird because when you're trying to collaborate with other students like in in, in any other exam you got a 95% it doesn't take away from somebody else's 95% but here the moment i have somebody and i don't get help back i automatically like that person is objectively ahead of me so i feel like that's a very weird system sort to sort of go through yeah, yeah. that's that's actually quite interesting um so you mm-hmm. talked about the gee exams um and it's been yeah. said that cbse prepares much better for the gee in general so i just wanted to know why why are you still in icse like do you feel like it's giving you any benefit so to say or would you switch to cbse in the coming years anything on that yeah so i mean that that's a that's a personal point but uh, that's fair if anybody's interested in that they'll definitely share it it's just the fact that cbse is a better um system for studying for an entrance exam is sort of a myth sort of not uh, the reason the what i think people consider it like people talk about the syllabus of cbse being directly based on the entrance exam that's that's not exactly true like it, the cbse of sorry the cbse and ise syllabus is relatively the same it's just the sort of answering way you do it but m- what i think is much more important is the environment you're in like which again i think we should touch upon is the our school is one of the schools in the country where the 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 average student is applying abroad instead of applying in india so that it just it's just a different environment you're in like there if everybody's talking about oh how did i'm i'm studying this for this entrance exam it just becomes a different environment where here it's again people taking part in extracurricular activities and all of that so it doesn't make that much of a difference it's really very so just to get it straight do you like an environment where people are oriented towards goals different than yours or oriented towards the same goal because like i personally believe that if you're in an environment where everyone has the same headset then that sort of pushes you to do better Yeah so I like it's sort of half enough because like the reason I want to stay here is purely because the different like the challenges I'm facing anyways to study for it plus the challenge of joining a new school and all of that that's just one separate thing and two anyways right after school like any time not spending in school a lot of time I'm spending surrounded by uh videos and coaching and studying for it myself so it's like it's a best of both worlds really I think I think one thing I've yeah. seen about the Indian education system in general is it doesn't prioritize co-curriculars and extracurriculars at all right so if a person wants to get into his college obviously having ECs is great because when you're starting finding a social startup or you're helping people you're doing something you're learning new things so it's obviously going to benefit the country and you in the future but when you're just preparing for one entrance exam or you want to get that 98 so you can get into St Stephens that kind of stuff just receipts in the background so i think it's really cool that you're doing a podcast you're doing stuff like this yajat but i think in general when you're focusing just on an entrance exam you don't care about extracurriculars i think that's one downside of the indian education system in general 
Yeah, so I think the, just just another point. I think the primary problem, or I would say, it's not the problem. It's just the sort of causation of everything is the fact that the number of people that are giving set the board exams, the 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 entrance exams, and etc. And which is also a function of the less number of good schools in India. Like think about the number of good schools in India that you've heard. You can literally count them on your fingers, right? There's the IITs, there's there's the DU, there's the uh, the Shoka, there's a few good schools in Mumbai, and what there there are probably like five six more. And these are the ones that you can count. And when you get into these schools, then you have the opportunity to grow yourself holistically, right? If you the, the IITs are very good, the like people go to to practice sports in the IITs. That's how good their sports complex is, right? That's the issue. If we had more good schools. that think about it 1 million people give these entrance exam maybe it could be the clat it could be neat it could be any out of entrance exam 1 million people give it what about the other people the 9 million 990000 95000 people that don't get into these good schools those people don't have the opportunity to grow themselves like that and i feel like that's the issue yeah i guess so for sure okay so another thing a lot of people say about the indian education system is that it leaves students ending up as jack of all trades and master of none So Shorya, something that uh, me and Yajit have spoken about off the podcast is that uh, whether students should get the choice mm-hmm. uh, to choose their subjects earlier on than eleventh grade. I don't know to be honest because I don't know if I feel like by the time I was personally, I feel like if you were to do that, the option would be an eighth and ninth grade, and I feel like you don't know your interests well enough in eighth and ninth grade to to pick to pick your subjects. I think eleventh grade. For me, at least, was the perfect time. Um, so, in ICSE, actually offers you the option to drop science in ninth yeah, grade for sure. and take up environmental studies and eco instead, if you want to do that or you're interested in that. And the thing I've noticed is that the people who do it are often socially ostracized, and the people yeah. who do it are just very less. So, I think the option exists, but I think it's just a bit of a taboo, so to say, surrounding dropping science at such a young age. Exactly. Like even if someone took home science, it was just looked down upon. Yeah, and I think the environment our parents grew up in was that everyone just did yeah. science, did engineering, yeah. and then did what they actually wanted to do. Yeah, yeah. I I think that's a that's an important point to touch upon. Is when people talk about uh, the often sort of I would say hierarchy, where people talk about oh the science parity among yeah exactly. so people often it's the stereotype it's not always true but the people say oh this if you're smart you're probably going to be in science section if you and all of that stuff so do you think how much of that is like how much of that stereotyping is uh is justified in the in the in the in the mindset of parents who think that oh you should take science because science has high paying jobs because i feel like the the intention of the parents is not bad they just want you to do well and they think science is the only option so how I much mean, of that is true one i don't blame the parents for having that stereotype because i mean if they they are looking at indian colleges out of the colleges that you counted on your finger yeah just eight out of 10 of them would have been engineering schools so if you're looking at where india has done exceedingly well in its education institutions apart from ashoka most of them are you know stem related and that's why pe- parents would want to push their kids to stem apart from that um i don't think a stereotype is justified in any way but then there are some things you can't deny you can't deny that being a humanities student in our school or any school it's easier to score marks than it is to score um if you are in a science stream the the, the syllabus is just so much more expansive in science and it's a lot more difficult to comprehend that you can't really argue with those things um then again i don't feel that it's also right to look down upon a student who's in humanities because then there are just some kids who are bad at math there are some kids who are bad at physics and they don't want to do that and something that yeah. i would encourage like something i think that should be the case in other schools is even if you don't change when a student can pick their own subjects you should be able to let a student pick their combination like when i like on my channel spoke about how i had physics math economics psychology and english people were really confused how i could pair physics and math and not have chemistry like i feel like you should still have the flexibility to make the combinations you want because today people are looking at intersectional studies more than yeah, just because like one particular field yeah because it's still better in our school because i was talking yeah. to my dad and he told me that in his school even in science there was literally everybody literally just took pcmb thinking that's the only option or the max was like taking a computer subject and there was literally medical and non medical sections yeah so it was My parents were telling me that if you took commerce, the only choice you had was commerce with math, commerce without math. Like there, there wasn't really any uh, choice for them, like there is for us today. 
and i think but, even in india still today we were talking about our parents but even today i've talked to a few people and in their schools they don't necessarily let you even join a science stream if you don't cross the 95 marks you only have the access to humanities and commerce unless you plead and make a special exceptional case for them they only let you join science if you have above a 90 or an above a 95 so i think that's flawed i think maybe in 8th grade or 9th grade isn't the best indicator of how you are going to be at science for the rest of your life so i think maybe that needs to change when we spoke about when we should allow people to choose what subjects they want to do we encroached upon the important point of basically why do we like what is the purpose of school like yes we all go to school we all know that i'm not trying to question the system i'm just saying what do you think school should be for because when you talk about people choosing the subjects you talk about people not conventionally studying english math science social studies including history and geography and you think the purpose of school is to do that get yourself generally aware of the world do you think it's other than that yeah i mean if you look at what a school should be doing for us then it it fails on a lot of grounds like as in it should prepare you for what life is like i mean life skills are even our mentoring classes which are meant to teach us life skills never really teach us any life skills um so and then the, the the argument that comes in from teachers most of the time is oh you're learning geography because what if you actually love geography but then you don't need to do those many years of geography to understand if you like it um i think what the school our school is trying to do is give you a foundation in every core academic discipline that they that is conventionally offered and then expect you to go ahead and choose one yourself but there are a lot of aspects of preparing you for life which are just completely missed out because of that i just because i feel like when you talk about life skills i think that that is a uh, common argument that's made by people talk about what do you include under life skills you include stuff like i don't know stuff that everybody has to do right good stuff like taxes stuff like doing the laundry and all of that yeah like basically stuff you need to just survive and do you think but like how much of that can you actually incorporate in a school is what i'm saying because when 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 we often see the school mission statements and not us every other schools they're like oh it's a, a holistic approach to 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 i don't know i teach students how to live life and i'm like what does that actually include how much of a school how much can a school even put you through what 13 years just teaching you life skills i mean 13 years is a very long period of time like there's there's a good amount that you could learn no no like, you don't understand what i'm saying like till 6th grade we do very like our school specifically does very like it focuses more on learning there's not that much testing which is not same for most schools in india but that's how it is but you, yeah. but after that 6 to 12 how much of that like time can you spend just doing life skills like in let's let's say you just remove like subjects like i don't know science and social no, but, yeah yeah jad we have we have like for our school we have mentoring yeah. Right? yeah if they actually allocated that time to teach something that would benefit our lives how receptive do you think 13 year olds are going to be to learning how to do their taxes like cuz i'm pretty sure the teachers have good intentions during mentoring but they don't have to teach them how to do their taxes in 6th grade like they can they can move up exactly. just like the level of difficulty my, 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 my question was when you uh, uh, my question was when you talk about the purpose of education do you think what we're doing yeah. like teaching students these 10 subjects till a certain point reducing that to 5 Yeah. You do you think we should com- completely replace that because that doesn't align with the purpose of education or and nobody saying replace that all always saying is if you're going to give one hour in a week to allocate to like a yeah. life skill give it okay. to a life okay. skill okay. and not okay. my okay. english teacher that was no short stuff like anyway i feel like it <laughs> was like personal experience but no i feel like and also uh, one of the biggest problems is that teachers on like a lot of the complaints that come in from the people who make our mentoring slides is the teacher isn't able to teach this to the class and they can't hold their attention so i feel like if you're talking about the skills side of a teacher then talking about some of these life skills is just something that they should start doing and um also the another problem is a lot of things that are taboo in our school are not taboos in in other schools or in in other societies like sex education is practically unheard of and i mean it's not like you can deny it. like even something as small as students drinking like it's just not spoken about it, it, and ignoring the problem is not going to do yeah. anybody any favor so those are just a few things when i say life skills i mean literally anything nobody's talking about taxes but um it, like you could literally have 
um like a small box in in the class where like students can like put in a chat if they want to learn about something and and then you can you can go ahead from there there's so many ways to get students involved in the process and if you're in if you have engaging topics then a students not going to just like be like oh my god this is so boring it's boring because it, we don't see effort being put into what's being taught to us that's why it's boring you're coming you're you're coming to an important point which i think is the amount that teachers get paid not just in our country or our school or not not actually not in our school but in just exactly like throughout the entire world pe teachers get paid abysmally low in compared to the impact that they have on people's lives that is why there's a certain lack of incentive i think that's an important point sure. uh, because even in this education system if every teacher just taught with that passion of that one teacher that made you love an x subject for sure it it would just be so much yeah. better okay so now that we moved yeah. on from that i wanted to talk about this one word i've heard a lot um i read it on some colleges websites i've read it in multiple schools mission statements is that we aim to cultivate global citizens for the schools and for colleges we look for global citizens and i've asked a lot of people but no one really has a clear answer on what exactly is a global citizen like like no one really gets what a global citizen is so according to you shaudya what do you think a truly global citizen is because it's just a word that's thrown around so much these days i'm in the same boat as soya money talking about global citizens the word honestly has no relevance to me anymore just because of how diluted it is like i could i couldn't care less like a global citizen should be someone who's number one informed about the world that they should they should know about the issues that the world is facing and maybe if they don't act on it at least be to a level where they're aware about it and sensitive about it um and and honestly apart from that like I don't even know what they want to contribute something to the world. Like, what is it? I I have zero clue. Okay, zero so do clue. you think that a uh, global citizen should have some sort of idea of where the world should go and where the world should ideally go? Nobody is expected to know what the world should look like because if the world, like, everybody should have their own opinion. Like, I feel like the most important thing, and this is something I like. Whenever I speak to someone, I talk to them about it as well. Is our generation and the generations after us are losing their own opinion. like the the word echo chamber gets thrown a lot a lot because it's a fact that's happening like social media is basically tribalizing our views creating a clump out of it and half of the people inside that echo chamber don't know what the value of the view is so i think if you do ask me what what should be the most important like tenet of a global citizen they should be able to think for themselves and have an opinion for themselves and assert it in a manner that's where they can still have civil discourse with someone and not just like mindlessly listen to anyone and mindlessly like impose whatever they feel about the world okay so the reason i asked that question was essentially because like swam said schools and colleges use the word global citizen a lot like it's in their mission statements they say stuff like we aspire to make all of our students global citizens now the problem i mm-hmm. see with that is they're making it sound like a global citizen well it might be but like Uh, they're making it sound like a global citizen is an ideal person. Now, yeah. they these schools and colleges can politicize the yeah. word global citizen by sort of imposing their views and telling these so-called global citizens that these this is what the world should ideally be, and this is what you should think. If you don't think so, you're not so a global citizen. So we're actually going to touch upon that later in the episode. We're going to talk about the politicization of college campuses, which is like a massive issue in the USA and even in India right now with the recent happenings in JNU and other such Jamia Millia College and other such things. Yeah, yeah, just go on. Yeah. So I I think this is a good segue into moving into um college and college applications. And since you've recently taken part in the us college application on the common app known as uh yeah i'm i'm assuming you have a lot of views on that so just to give a context yeah just to give a context to people i'm i'm sure you do but just to give lay a foundation the the common app application of looks at different aspects of a person and tries to assess them and sends it to different colleges so it looks at your academics your standardized testing scores uh, essays that you write for specific schools and general and your extracurricular activities so yeah sure take go ahead i mean where do you want to start this is that's there's so many things you can keep it kind of brief because uh, if people want to find out more they can check out five part <laughs> series on your youtube channel sure <laughs> uh, yeah sinha how to get into oh, uh, stanford this is, this is i i want 
I, I wanted to make one for so long because there's just no international student talking up. Like there are very yeah. few, and the yeah, ones I, I watched so many. So I watched so many, and then I'm like, dude, with these stats, there's no way an international application is gonna get in. So it's like, okay, yeah. So college application. First thing, what college application consists of five parts. You have your essays, ECs, which is extracurriculars, your letters of recommendations. your statistics which is standardized testing and then you have your academics which is how you perform in schools um the first thing i'd want to get out of the way which everyone keeps talking about is what is the relevance a grade has like um so there are two parts to it number one your grades are really important because that's some that is the most um that's the biggest equalizer across the board like the first thing people will look at is your grades second thing you need to have only a certain amount to qualify so like the the metaphor i use is it's a gate like the moment you're through that gate nobody is going to be considering your grades later into the process if they feel that you're academically competent they're not going to go back on that decision unless they get like a later report card and you know you've done really badly um when it comes to extracurriculars i have like a few opinions in the sense that one don't start a non-profit just for the heck of starting a non-profit i think the biggest problem i'm seeing is everyone's trying to start their own micro initiatives and not looking at scale and the problem with that is nobody cares if you started something if you're only affecting 10 people if you're going to make your own non-profit one have a compelling reason for it have a, like when i say story i feel it's disingenuous because you can make your own story but have something that really inspired you to make a non-profit on something um and the second thing is then look at scalability how can you uh, make it the so next big i wanted thing. to talk about um, that for a second so you talked about how yeah. you didn't appreciate people like just doing it for the hacker college but i actually think even if they're doing it just yeah. for college like it's transparent you can see that they're doing it only and only because they want to get into college but in the end of the day it is going to do good yeah. for even those 10 people right so is there really any harm to it oh no i 100% 100% agree I feel like if you're giving a net positive to society, it's fine. It's just that it's not going to help you get into college if you're only impacting ten people. My I point was, from a college's perspective, it's not as impressive yeah. anymore. No, I yeah, I, just like, said, I think that's yeah. an important point where we talk about the different aspects of the college application. Do you think it's not like somebody who's looking to apply to the US and in, in that big pool of international applicants trying to stand out? Do you don't you think it becomes like I have to have a non-profit otherwise I won't get in? Like that's the sort of mentality a lot of people have. If you want to be different. and everybody wants to be different then you're not really different exactly anymore. exactly like uh, so i'll tell you the problem like this is something people should know about the entire bubble of community service your ability to distinguish yourself is very bad because there's not a, there's not a hierarchy of excellence so let's take two kids okay one kid is a stem kid and he's done research in like the field of biochem this kid can go on and present like make a research paper and present it at a competition like icef that is a distinguished hierarchy of excellence where you can say i have gone and done this this is the peak of the pyramid for community service there's not really anything like that because you can't go out and say i unless you're looking at awards you can't really go out and say my the 50 people i said is better than the 50 people you said then the only way you can really distinguish yourself is scale so that's why it's pointless if you're forming a non-profit purely for the purpose of saying i went ahead and i did this i feel like it's it's very important for you to say that i made a genuine impact in society and the fact of the matter is when everyone's doing it then you have to look for a different way to do it and one of those ways is scale and then another thing becomes how can you legitimize your work so again for the stem kid they can go for competitions whatever 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 for if you're a community service kid it only becomes like an award and even then there are limited awards like you have your primerica award you like the award i got was the bal shakti puraskar and that then becomes a dis- like it becomes a point of distinction it can be like okay i and 10 other people founded a non-profit but mine got recognized by you know supreme authority in india like it's just one of those things which which can set you, you apart so that's what i feel as the whole thing about do you think it's even realistic to expect like 15 year olds 16 year olds to have 10 extra curriculars in their belt because i feel like that's a massive number for like actual like solid things to have which just makes people like exaggerate stuff do stuff for the sake like the sake of it and all of that stuff so do you think 10 is just too high a number i think that what the common app as an organization was thinking when they made 10 activities was the maximum we'd like a kid to talk about is 10 after that it becomes from a number standpoint i'm not yeah. processing more activities you're doing i feel like 10 is a good number there are people who do lesser than 10 but again if you go to a counselor they'll be like what are your 10 activities 
so the problem is that even if the intention initially wasn't bad because of how maybe indians are or because of how competitive the process is for an international citizen it gets reinforced into something toxic by the people around you so like like every counselor i mean i don't want to say counselor because i've had very valuable counselors who've given me feedback that isn't like that but most people will tell you fill those 10 things up what your 10 things and then then it turns into something that's not good for us like again similar point i was watching uh, a lecture by the mit uh, admissions officer uh, or admissions officer and she was talking about the number of people like the number of schools each individual not even an international a us applicant is, is how much it's increased the number of schools they apply to like back in like the 1990s even the early 2000s people used to apply to like maybe four five schools max and now it's considered almost like it's 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 a norm we've made it like normal for, for it for us to apply to like 20 schools even like you you see these college decision reaction videos of people going like oh, i applied to 20 plus schools and it's like i think that yeah. ruins it as well because when you apply to four schools it actually is a holistic process when you know what your target is and you work towards it because when you apply to 20 schools you're just trying to yeah. say like i'm just going to get somewhere right that's just what it's become that's true but then you're unsure about yeah your... that's true but also like from an international student's perspective you don't know if you're getting into those schools like if you look at, like especially for you guys like i don't mean this to scare you but 10% of a cohort of a of a university will go to international students with covid-19 a lot of us are going to be deferring our enrollment which means the 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 10% you had out of which 2% are actually just us citizens another 2% will be the people who we defer you're fighting for a lot smaller percentage that we were fighting for so an already competitive process is just going to be way worse and the thing is every time someone yes. comes up with a differentiator everyone starts doing that differentiator it's no longer a differentiator like i spoke about aps in my video now every kid i know wants to do an ap like, like again in that same lecture after the point you're just like what can yeah, you do again in that same lecture it used to be like when people used to list their activities in back in like 1970s 80s it used to be like oh you play the piano oh wow you 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 do music it's now it's like every other kid knows how to play the piano somebody plays an instrument no, everybody plays a sport so i feel like another important thing that i used to feel like now i don't feel that but everybody used to think that oh you know if you're a very well rounded student then you have a good chance of getting in but i don't think that's true anymore again as as uh, samarth mentioned that we go like okay you can do this you can do that but it doesn't all sort of fit into the same circle i don't think like that's a that's a misconception a lot of people have that that makes a good application do you think so i've read about the theory of spike so you just need to find your field where you excel at and it has to be like quite niche not exactly niche but like you need to be like dedicated and focused to one certain thing rather than have 20 random activities you have like five which are all in the same field or working towards the same thing i think shorya has an excellent spike he's done a lot of things with video making with people for disabilities could you talk about that yeah sure yeah i don't i was i was talking about a spike like two days back and like so some, i was talking about your youtube like videos scientist. which you guys can check out in his youtube <laughs> channel yeah guys I, thank you fellow podcast listeners please come and look at i'm a youtuber now guys no but um, now i don't know like even my opinion about a spike has changed because i was i was watching this video and this guy was like you don't need a spike because it's all about how you present it like let's say you're a tinkerer right like you make like five different things in your essay you can make it sound like making things is your spike even though you might have made things across different domains so i do agree that you should have a a consistent and demonstrated level of interest in one field but the beauty of an essay is that you can really make that one field to be something that, that's so intangible and so left field and you can even make it as quirky as possible like when i say quirky it might sound disingenuous but again it can be as niche as possible because if you if you, what you have to do is you have to look at your activities and ask yourself why am i really attracted to this activity like if you like um uh personal technology if you like iot if you like planes if you like cars and you're like oh i like the design about it then design becomes your spike it's not like those four different things so i feel like it's yeah. unfair on a lot of indian students because of how crucial your ability to articulate your work is so that's a point i would make but in for my personal story yeah i had like a for probably since the age of 12 i've been working in terms of like making films for people with disabilities and then i did volunteering and then i sort of built it up into finally making a non profit after i found a genuine problem in the field i was working in. 
so yeah that was my spike but my point is your story does not have to be like that even remotely yeah so i think uh, again when you said that uh, your your ability to articulate yourself plays an important role i think that's an important uh, point because like when you talk about like would you say that you would you would have the same shot if you as an applicant international applicant if you didn't go for a career counseling service or if you or if you didn't uh, I, this this sounds disingenuous but like i i mean to say like if you didn't have any assistance with your application do you mm-hmm. think it would be the same application or would you think it would be no no definitely not and i say that because um one just to put this out there more 90% of the work you're going to do yourself it's not going to be a counselor but the reason i feel like my application yeah. would be different was say something as big or crucial to my application like the united nations award or the bal shakti puraskar award both of those had been suggested to me by counselors i wasn't looking for these awards because these awards are so niche that nobody had heard about it jaja had you honestly heard about something called a bal shakti puraskar like before this like no one it's such a big thing and no one's even heard about it right and so Uh, that's why i feel like counselors play their part because they tell you these small small things which can amount to something big on your app yeah exactly and it's the only thing that i find a bit of i mean it's a it's not just a thing in the in india it's also a thing in the us but it's it i feel like it becomes an inaccessibility factor like even if you talk about like uh if you talk about entrance exams or any sort of other sort of method to get into college you still have coaching centers but it's come to a point at which you can there's so much information available online and you can go for an on, online preparation and all that you can sort of still do it yourself so it's not that much of a ahead or that much of a advantage that you have if you go if you sort of pay for something that's supposed to assist you but when you talk about college applications a college counselor can actually make the difference between you giving a very generic application like the generic i don't know an an asian who's very good at maths but you can they can find some sort of niche who can make it okay you, you like this so we can make all all about that and they've never heard that before so i feel like that also creates a big inaccessibility factor which is not being addressed so the entire thing is like driven by money right you start off with school you need money for that then you go to college yeah. counselors you need money for that you need to go to college you need money for that sometimes you don't get financial aid for college so you can't actually go to college so i think now now a lot of a lot of higher level education institutes are just becoming inaccessible for a lot of people because about how charged they are with money because you need money to open doors everywhere for the process i believe so like of course there're going to be a few exceptions about how people have done it without any like like financial help from their parents and stuff like that but, but i think the effort you have to put in is a lot more like more than a significant amount For yeah sure. I, and then two things i'll say is one i do agree that i mean yeah college counselors made a difference to my application but the point the reason that i'm making youtube videos is so that i can also act like an equalizer right like every big thing like youtube as a platform yeah. what does it do it enables anybody to make a video my youtube video what does it do it enables anybody to know the ins and outs of the college application process for no fee right so Yes, now virtually anybody can study for those engineering things, but it's also because it's been there for such a long time that you've now got people who are acting as equalizers in the process. So eventually, like right now, I'm one of the first few college YouTubers from India who's doing this. In a few years, you're going to have like 50, right? So people will always be there to help out. That being said, money does play definitely play a huge role. Um, and then the second thing I wanted to say, wait, Samar, what did you say? I wanted to jump off that. So I am. You said, "Oh yeah." Um, oh, that, what I wanted to say was that, like, there's something known as the survivorship bias, where you basically analyze not only the people who got in, but the people who haven't. Yes, I put in a lot of work, but like, I, I don't know, Sanskriti or anybody in my grade application, they would have put in this a good amount of effort. They would have had like the same mindset in creating a spike. They have the same access to resources I do, or maybe I did have more, but whatever. Any any of those factors. the point is that it's still a lottery at the end of the day like uh, mine still worked out for a reason i'll never know about someone else's might not have worked out for a reason i won't know about so it's misrepresentative to look at my story and be like oh if i do these extra curriculars i'll get in because someone who could have had the same story as uh, me would have interesting social experiment would be to send the yeah. same application across of like a like maybe it's three consecutive years and see the admission of that application because i feel like even the same application in two years can can be the difference between you getting in or not like there could be a similar application and they would say okay maybe that's better and what what not 
like i think the, the i think the president of harvard like i subscribe to the harvard magazine so he actually put out this massive press statement saying that from now we're going to be focusing a lot on sustainability from this coming year so maybe if someone who had done something in sustainability this year wouldn't have gotten in but if they did it like in the following years they had a much higher chance of getting it so i think a lot the last so time you mentioned factor. previously when you talked about the like yeah. as we're, we're encroaching upon the sort of bias that an admissions officer has you spoke about the politi- politicization of campuses especially in the us and in india as well. india there's not that much of an admission process so that's a separate point but in the us you mentioned that would you like to jump of that okay so there's been uh, there's been like articles and claims about how uh, college campuses in the us are are filled with uh, socialist professors and administrators who are committed to leftist indoctrination and uh, they're said to weed out applicants who uh, seem conservative and uh, they do this in order to like sort of uh, prohibit the expression of conservative thought by students in class because they want to maintain that sort of less so leftist ideology i think ideology. i think it's definitely a huge problem in the us Yes, I think some people from an early age don't like to voice their political opinions because they can be unpopular, right? So, and the admission counselors doesn't doesn't hold the same belief as that. They'd be afraid of putting that out there because it's it's a massive issue over there. There are protests on it. There are literally people. There's there's a lot of stuff going around it, right? It's been going on for forty years in the Supreme Court ever since Roe Roe v Wade and all of that stuff. So, I think people are afraid to a voice their political opinions. but there's also at the same time the problem of people overvoicing their political opinions and it college campuses becoming an echo chamber and having the echo chamber effect where there increasingly there's no place for certain types of views on a college campus anymore we've seen that a lot with the conservative movement where like antifa is beating up conservative college students in the university of ohio so, uh, you mentioned so previously the, the you sort of uh, briefed upon it the impact that covid-19 and the current pandemic would have on is abroad admissions which is i think a majority of the uh, of our audience would be looking towards that so could you expand upon that and perhaps amarth you could uh, jump off there i don't know like i think in part like my batch already got affected by it um ivy league admissions were down by a good percentage for south asian applicants um i don't know if you attribute that to the increased amount of competition with every year or because of covid-19 and how rushed the process is but i don't know that even for my batch a lot of um processes that colleges had to discuss an application were cancelled like so for example in the university of pennsylvania like they would convene as a group to discuss an application they the the admissions officer just did it individually and the point is something as small as that can play a huge role in the admissions officer's own opinions about an applicant being exaggerated and accentuated to the point where they decide the, the whether a application gets rejected or accepted and i do think another reason that contributed to my acceptance at stanford was because my i had an rea application which is restrictive early action for people who don't know that it means that i apply in october which means that the admissions officer already read my profile once so i feel like time was the biggest asset that played to my benefit even for for a place like stanford and now going forward i feel like yes that admissions are definitely going to be slashed and an opinion that i have is that more students who are academically exceptional will beat students who have unconventional spikes because in countries like india and countries like china there's this huge culture of faking a lot of data and having like disingenuous work and something that you can't deny is academic excellence because there are just so many avenues where a person with an IMO bronze medal or a silver medal or a gold medal can display the fact that they are one literally one out of a million like the, the, their brain is their IQ is of that range so i feel like colleges will be looking will drift more towards statistics that will take one lesser time to evaluate and two are undeniable like you can't deny something like that yeah. and those will take over um they will take precedence over a kid who's like look at my story i feel like the relevance of a story is slowly going to start deteriorating because a kid in eighth grade right now is saying what is my story right so if everyone has their own story they're not going to spend the time reading your essays being like oh is this kid's story better than this kid it's going to be so the, is the this kid standing of, out of this pile or not the importance of extra curriculum so, yeah. is basically going down i feel so i feel like it's going to get diluted because everyone will have a better one I think I think what I think what you're referring at is sort of extracurriculars, but 
in your domain so it's like it's not that much about a story anymore it's just like the the 10 list you have it should suppose like it should shout like okay i am made for a cs major take me like so that's exactly sort of or like a tangible yeah, exactly, extracurricular, yeah. right? Because a lot of extracurriculars are quite intangible. Like, so if we're doing a podcast right now, like it, it could like, if we did one episode and we did a hundred, like obviously like some things are tangible, some things are intangible. So that you have to take into account. And you talked about um spikes for a second. So I've seen like, there's this trend now where people like hop onto like pretty irregular spikes. And so to get into college, because it's yeah. obviously going to be a much lesser pool of students applying for philosophy or religion as compared to someone applying for a CS major, right? So, and then once they're into college, they switch streams for that. So I think it's a bit unfair and I think ethically it's a bit murky. So what are your views on that? Because obviously it becomes much easier, but at the end of the day, they're also doing it with something in their mind that it's for their better future. But because of that, someone who genuinely cares about religion or genuinely cares about philosophy and like he's living in the Middle East, wants to find the cure to world's religious problems, doesn't get into a Stanford or an MIT. Okay, so yeah, I have a few points on that. One, I would encourage you guys and anyone listening to this podcast to go online and search for something called a common data set. What a common data set is, it basically gives the breakdown of an entering class for any university. So Stanford stopped publishing common data sets, but it has one for 2018 and it, it has it for its four years previous batch. And what you're going to notice is that the majors, intended majors that students are coming in and coming out with are extremely disproportionate. And what you're supposed to infer from that is that a student might go in for philosophy, but the intended major doesn't have as big of a role in your application process as you think. When I got into Stanford, I had to have a, I got to have a call with my admissions officer and you can see that the number of kids who have CS and the number of kids who have are on a pre-med track are a lot more than the number of kids who've gotten in for psychology because they're not looking at those the, at your major as, as closely as you think because if that were the case then Stanford would want the most diverse class then they try to have a proportionate balance of all majors and not just have like this huge chunk of CS majors or this huge chunk of kids coming in from California so I think that uh, people have a misconception as to you can you know go in for gender studies and and do something well i do agree it plays a part but definitely not as big a part as you think in the application process they're not looking at your major that closely because then for a kid who wants to go in for like um biochem in shiram aravli how many resources do you have for that it, it becomes a little unreasonable for for someone to expect like an astrophysics like or you want to do physics and philosophy like if your intended major is something like that and you're not expected to have extracurriculars that are there. You're just expected to have extracurriculars that can line up with that. So there are a lot of a lot of points that people should start taking into account when they're talking about their intended major. I think we've spoken a lot about college admissions, but I think since like since you apply to a lot of um, some would say top twenty, top ten schools, an important thing that I find quite interesting is how what people consider a good school. Because in India, a good school is much rather different to what a good school would be in the US, right? Because given the fact that funding is way, like it's, it's very low in India compared to any US school, you can objectively define that a, a school can have good faculty or you can have good, uh, you can have good facilities and, and, um, and hostels, etc. like that. But in the US, there are, there are a lot of, like using the same metrics, you can say a lot of schools are so quote unquote good schools. So... So how do you say, would you define a good school? Because normally a good school is defined as just a, like an old school because you would look any any schools are just considered like like old schools like the Ivy Leagues, at the IITs, Cambridge, these are all very old schools. So they have their established name. And second is a low acceptance rate. So like, like in society, these are just normal parameters that people take into consideration while calling a good school. But do you think that's accurate? I mean... See, I feel like if you're in the top 20, then education will be relatively the same. So you you have to look at it from a few points. Number one, what is the reason you're going to a quote unquote good school by your standards? So what is the reason I would choose a Stanford over a Pomona? And the reason is that you like this is something I learned along the way, like something my dad tells me, you protect your downfall. Like how low could a Stanford undergraduate possibly fall? It basically creates a safety net for you. Your, if you go to a place like University of Michigan and you go to a place like Stanford, how high you can achieve is not going to be restricted. But the 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 whatever you call it, the foundation that a, a student from a top 
hundred school can fall to, and a, a foundation that it's uh, like a top twenty student uh, school student can fall to is very different. So that's one of the reasons why people look at rankings and they be like, I want to go to that school. That's one. Two, I feel like an A plus school in India is equivalent to probably a B plus school in the US. Like the standard of education there is just generally better. So people shouldn't really worry about whether you know if they get into like a half decent school or if they get into an excellent school because you should be you should be sure that the education you are receiving will relatively be the same. It then becomes the access to opportunities, the endowment, the research internships, the professors you are working with, the headset of the students you are with, like. someone at a place like stanford you're going to have a cohort that each student wants to change the world and that can do that can be extremely beneficial for you if you're not exactly in that headset because it just motivates you or it can work the opposite way and it can just make you feel like shit like you can you you just burn out in a month and you you have no motivation to do anything so like those are just like a few things you should think about when you talk uh, about like a good school a ted talk i watched recently which was about this guy that this asian guy that got into uh, harvard and he spoke about essentially like even any co- college admissions yeah i seen it yeah you seen it right any yeah. college admissions yeah. process irrespective of how it is groups people into the very at a high school state at least the the most you would say successful by a certain metric or uh, the most the, the ones that have achieved the most whether it be academically in our holistic nature whatever it be and once you are in the room with these people you automatically like it's it works sort of detrimentally because even if it works positively you you probably eventually realize that okay i can't always compete with them there'll always be somebody who's smarter than me so eventually it, there is some sort of detriment uh, there's a there's a negative effect that you could say that this has so do you think that this is just a sort of um ne- what do you call it necessary evil that we have to live with or do you think there is a better approach what is the evil you are referring to like when you group people like a uh, likely any education system it groups basically the, the fact that someone will be that better than you no 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 like for example when you go to a stanford everybody there yeah. will ha- will either you there'll, there'll be somebody who's smarter than you there'll be somebody basically people in stanford would be considered more accomplished than somebody in a state school right just the collective yeah. batch as a whole so when you go there as you said everybody wants to change the world So yeah. then you then you realize how competitive and cut the, the sort of cutthroat nature of that school, right? So do you think mm, and that yeah. So so that often creates like for example let's let's say a simpler example is uh, like an Indian education system like for example if you go to a top any college like a medical college for that everybody there used to be the topper of their school right like just to give a mm-hmm. like everybody is there is a shortage in every school right so that like yeah. exactly big fish small pond sort of thing yeah. so that that causes like do you think that is a necessary evil that we have to live with like you realizing that okay this is i i can't always compete with everybody like in, i i do you understand my point or i don't know i should i should free yeah i i completely understand your point okay. um one i haven't gone to college yet so i wouldn't hmm, say yeah, I, i'm the best person to speak about this but it's just a fact like you're going to have people who are better than you you're going to have people who are more intelligent than you now you can either learn from them or you can just like feel bad about yourself and like honestly if people go to the same school and come out with two very different experiences because college is really what you make it about like if your if your self esteem your self worth is not that great to begin with if you go to a place like that you're not going to feel any better about yourself on the other hand if you're like academically average but you still like you're you're perfectly fine with that you've accepted that and you go to um a, a school where everyone's a little cutthroat it's completely your choice whether you can fuel that culture or detach yourself from that culture and i think that some people are better than it at others and it's not really it unfortunately it's not a skill that you learn i think mental health or your um your inclination to how you react to a situation differs on a very natural basis like i might be much more uh, i might be much more competent when it comes to coping with pressure than the next student yeah. and it, it's just something that a student will realize once they go to college and go okay, to okay so we've talked about school we've yeah. talked about college now we just wanted to as like some of the last segment of the show we wanted to talk about life beyond college and the ethics in some of the stuff of that so after college you're obviously going to get a job somewhere or the other Would you want to get a job in the United States, or do you feel any sort of ethical obligation to come back to the yeah, United to come back to India? Um, 
I don't know. Uh, for me, it's a little murky because I have I feel no ethical obligation to come back here, but I would want to. Like I don't feel like it's an obligation. I feel like if a, a, an individual person's choice what they want to do with their life, but personally, I would like to come back at some point in time. And also, given COVID nineteen, I don't know what the job scene is going to be. That it was already hard for a person who's not a citizen of the United yeah. States to get a job. And for like, we think it's bad because like I personally thought it was bad because you know the four months after school when you're free, you're now inside your home all the time. But for someone who's literally graduated from college this May, they have they have not like they're unemployed yeah. right now, right? And that's like a very scary situation to be in. So I think I would come back personally one because I would want to, but two probably out of necessity. Okay, so uh, I think we've had a pretty good productive podcast session. and uh, before we end it i just wanted to ask whether you had any tips for us whether on on essentially how to build an online presence since you are now the biggest indian college youtuber no 2k oh. subscribers hmm yeah so i don't have an online like i don't know how it happened no, 50 i don't 50k views is a decent online presence Yeah, I think my my channel had a hundred k views like today. Like I can start monetizing my YouTube oh. channel. I feel so good about it. Like, but the thing is, I use copyrighted music, so that's also an issue. But I'll figure that out later. But uh, um, you have to like. I always wanted to be a YouTuber, but I couldn't because I knew that you have to have a launchpad, like one video which which will be bound to get views. And the only video I could think of was a college decision reaction video. So for me, it was just like something I was waiting. and then i so one find a video you think is um time appropriate like given a current situation like it's something you can capitalize on and make a video on that and to make sure that that video is 100 times better than every video on that topic and then the moment that one video blows up in case it blows up um then you have to like really make sure that you can retain the people you've got in so I think, yeah. especially for a podcast or a YouTube channel, it's important to have a niche, but then re- be really good at that niche. Like, if you guys are doing conspiracy videos on one day, college application advice on another day, then I, as a person who's coming for the conspiracy theories video, will what leave the see? next episode yeah. because I'll yeah, be like, the only thing that we tried to create was me. basically like what so, what we think, yeah, like people, the youth, or yeah, young people would want to be interested in. But yeah, that that like that's just one thing. थिंग So, like, they asked me about it. I said, "Look, I'm. I haven't ever worked with you. I'm not. I don't plan on promoting it." But then I said, "Just out of curiosity, how much would you pay me?" They said, "Twenty dollars for putting the link in your bio for three months. Twenty dollars. That's nothing." So, you like, you can make like, how much do you make off a million views? You get five hundred dollars. So, it, it's possible. Like, Elliot Choi has done it. R. P. Park has done it. But they make relatively collegey videos. Like Elliot Choi has completely shifted, and he's yeah, like a proper YouTuber yeah. now. Uh, because he, I don't I know. Think that's a, I don't that, that's just a feature of this generation. I really like it because the my first interaction with most colleges have been through their college YouTubers, and it just sort of gives yeah. you an inside perspective that rankings or anything like that doesn't yeah. give. So yeah. Yeah, just you're the oddest guy. You spend watching you you watch US college videos, you do 15 extra curriculars and then you want to get to IIT. No, it's it's a like it's a recent decision I made. Like it's not like I I obviously in the, in in our school at least when you when you think about college you think about like yeah MIT jana hai. Oh ho oh, oh. ho. Are you are you going to But it's like especially for STEM students. Really? Especially for STEM स्कूल आफ्टर पिकिंग वन किड एवरी फोर इज इन अ नॉर्मली 
and it just goes to show that they don't necessarily look at your school as closely as you think especially the fact that Aisha and I have both gone into psychology on on that note we've, i think we've covered all the aspects of the college admissions schools and life after college okay. process and everything um we want to thank Shoya for being here on the show it means a lot especially coming from such an aspiring youtuber <laughs> um thank you guys If you haven't checked out my channel, go write Shorya Sinha <laughs> on YouTube, and hopefully my search engine optimization has reached a point where you can find me. Or just type Shorya Sinha College. Yeah, the 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 the, the right, before right. college it used to be Shorya Sinha Anaita, and that's just oh, something okay. I want to put out. Anyway, cut that obviously. But you yeah. know, it's okay, fine. I'm perfectly proud of the fact that I could make an entire film. Okay, thank you guys for listening. See you guys next time. Bye.